About six weeks ago, you met Brian Harris. Uh, Brian is... Uh, he is an Air Force chaplain. He may tell you more about that. And his family was in a little bit of a break between assignments. And so he, he and his family moved to Wilmington for the past three months. Now, many of you have had your lives impacted by Brian and J.L. Harris and their three kids in the three weeks. If there's anything we can learn from them, uh, it would be how to interact with a church family and get quickly plugged in. Because I know a lot of you have had meals with them. Uh, you've been to their house or they've been to yours. Your kids have played with them. And Brian is also a very gifted speaker. Uh, uh, he's traveled around the world. He was a missionary in West Africa for a while. He was uh, a preacher in, uh, in, in Illinois for a while. And now he's uh, serving our country as a chaplain in the United States Air Force. And so he's back this week. They're moving. They're moving away next Sunday after church. They're moving. We're going to miss you guys so much. But can we just give a warm Venture Church welcome to Brian Harris as he comes up again this week. Thank you, Chris. Man, I really appreciate it. Yeah, very, very blessed to be here. Like you said, my name's Brian, or uh, I guess now I'm a First Lieutenant Harris, or Chaplain Harris. Um, very blessed to be here this morning. Um, this church, you guys, even though we've been here for such a short time, you all mean a lot to us. You were the spiritual, fresh breath of air that we, ne- we, we needed. And uh, getting to know some of the leadership of some of the elders here. You know, I've been in ministry for a bit, and I've seen healthy churches and unhealthy churches. And I have full confidence in the leadership here and what they're doing and as they're, they're, uh, they're submitting themselves to God's will and to his purpose here in Wilmington. I'm very excited to see where you guys end up. Um, as he said a, a second ago, um, I'm in the I'm an Air Force chaplain. I'm going to be at Vandenberg Space Force Base. I didn't know that information last time I was here. Um, I have no idea what a Space Force chaplain does. Um, I've been preparing by watching uh, Space Force on Netflix and drinking space flavor Coca-Cola. I'm like, I've got no idea where to go with this. Um, but we're going to find out, I guess, right? Um, and so it's pretty exciting. We're that, that, and it, just so you know, Vandenberg is right on the coast. So I'm literally going from coast to coast in between uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles. And so um, it's going to be fun. Uh, in uh, the book of Acts, Paul is talking to about this, this group of people in Macedonia, and he's like, listen, you know, if you know Paul, you know his missionary journeys, he's traveling from town to town to town, seems very intense, very fast pace, and sometimes it's fast pace because people are actually chasing him from town to town. And so a very fast pace, but he says, hey, I want to delay my travels so we can spend time in fellowship with the Macedonians. And this is kind of what we're trying to do. Uh, my wife's last day of work is Friday, and we're like, listen, we don't want to go on Friday. We want to spend as much time adventure as we can. And so we're delaying our travels to spend one more Sunday here, which will be next Sunday, because we just love you all that much and have been impacted by you all that much. Um, we're very, very grateful, like I said, for y'all's presence in our life. Um, however, uh, this new journey um, is going to need a lot of prayer. As a matter of fact, I'm very, very envious of your prayers. And I'm, I'm begging and asking for them. Because I'm not just going to, to Vandenberg as an Air Force chaplain. I'm going to Vandenberg as your Air Force chaplain. As a representative of you all in that community. And so I need your prayers. And in this manipulative way to gather more of your prayers, I'm going to spend some time telling you about me and my family. In hopes that you will feel this bond and desire to pray for us more. So I mentioned my, my first name is Brian. Uh, my middle name is Anthony. Um, named after my uncle who died in Vietnam. Um, 
you know, I've got a twin brother, and I've got, I was raised by a single mother. My mom, uh, she is a very loving, caring, and fun person. Also, you know, as all sons can probably say, sometimes difficult. Um, as you get older, you know what I'm saying. But she, there's no doubt that she loves me very, very, very much. And there's no doubt that I was very, very difficult to her. And she knew that it was going to be hard to raise two kids. So she looked through this baby name book and she's like, all right, all right, all right. What character traits do I want instilled on my son to make life easier? And she chose the name Brian, which means strong and full of honor in hopes that that strength would be funneled towards chores. She was so hopeful. Uh, you know, I had father figures like He-Man, Lion-O, and uh, G.I. Joe, if you guys know. There's some good father figures out there as well from my friends that were very helpful, but mostly it was her doing it on her own. And she was just hoping that I would sweep the floor a little more than I did. I've got three children. Um, do I have a family picture up here? There we are. Um, so my daughter, Zeal, is in the striped shirt, and she is six. And uh, we spent eight years trying to have her. And so when she finally came, it was a huge blessing. We're actually, we were in the process. We just, you remember Ebola? Everybody remember when Ebola was a thing? Yeah, Ebola was a thing at some point. And we, um, we actually got discounted airplane tickets to Africa, which is really crazy. They gave us the Ebola discount. And uh, we're planning on flying to Cameroon to live on this active volcano to do missionary work. And we're two weeks after we buy these non-refundable tickets, Jail calls me as I'm getting ready to preach at a church. She was in North Carolina. I was in Illinois. And uh, we were traveling around raising support. And she says, she, you know, she, she talks to me on the phone. She's shaking. She's saying words I can't understand. But she tells me she's pregnant. Uh, two weeks after we buy these non-refundable tickets. What do you do when you're told that you're going to have a child, your first child, after eight years of attempts and trying and praying? Where you go? If the Lord is finally going to reward me for being faithful to Him, I'm not going to shrink back in fear now. And so we went. The Lord is so good to us and He's blessed us in so many ways. There's this um, interesting, intense, odd, yet exciting and perplexing story in the book of Numbers, believe it or not. Numbers 25 uh, there's, the Israelites are still in their 40 years of wandering. Uh, you know, this is after the parting of the Red Sea. They're in the midst of their, this, this wandering moment, and they've fallen into sin. As a matter of fact, it says in Numbers 25.1, it says, While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. Now, what is interesting about this as well, is although the Israelites are living in this sinful state, the Moab king has also recruited a prophet that he's paid very, very well to bring extra curses onto the Israelites. And every time he tries to curse them, he ends up blessing them. And this is also, this is very, very good to point out because it shows us that even in, or even though man is not faithful, God is. That God is faithful even though humanity is not. And this is a huge spiritual truth. Matter of fact, almost all of our faith is based on that foundational truth. That God is faithful even though humanity is not. And so in this time, where the Israelites are hoarding around with the daughters of Moab, not all of them are. Moses and the hero of the story's name is Phineas. 
are praising God. They're crying out for the Lord to intervene. They're asking and begging the people of Israel to repent. And in the midst of this, this Israelite man has the audacity to walk by Moses, to walk by the tabernacle, nod, give him a little heads up. How you doing? How you doing? Grab a Moabite woman out of her tent. Come with me. They kind of trottle along. Hey, Moses, what's up? Let's come to my tent. In the middle of this, right? Like Moses is sitting there. They've seen what God can do. They know his power. They've seen the blood turn. They've seen water turn to blood. They've seen the cattle die. They've seen many people die. They've seen these pillars of fire and smoke leading them across the desert. And yet he has the audacity, the courage to walk in front of the tabernacle of God, the presence of God. And sin so openly, so shamelessly. It seems like a special kind of stupid, am I right? I mean, can we, can we, can we, I mean, doesn't it, doesn't it seem like that? You know, the truth, truthfully though, uh, this is a very, very clear illustration and picture of what many of us do regularly. Anytime we sin intentionally, no matter how secret or how little people know about it, it's like we're parading our sin in front of God like this, like this imagery that was just portrayed. And so the spiritual principle here is, uh, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, we should be striving for holiness as king to people and not intentionally sinning. But the hero of the story, Phineas, he sees the audacity of this man who's openly, willingly, uh, shamelessly sinning. And he takes a spear and he goes into the tent and he stabs it through both of them. And this is what it says. About Phineas, from the mouth of God, he was zealous for the righteousness as God is. And that is where my daughter got her name, Zeal. My hope is that not only my daughter, but me and my wife as well could be as zealous for righteousness as God is. That our life would reflect this. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's what I want. I want my focus to always be on God and on his kingdom, on his righteousness. I want that for my family, and I want that for you as well. That we would consistently make decisions stemming from an unwavering focus on God. That, that we will be zealous for his righteousness. Naming my daughter Zeal associated with that story serves another purpose. I get to tell this story to the boys that attempt to take her on dates. As I enter the room with blood on my chest and a spear in my hand, sit down, boy. I got a story for you. That's right. I named her after a guy. That stabbed a spear through a person who did sexual acts outside of marriage. Are we following? So that's my daughter, Zeal, my favorite oldest daughter. My middle child, my favorite youngest daughter, we named her Berea. See that little beautiful girl in the pink who is not smiling for some reason. Way to take a picture, baby. Love you. Do any children, any parents have problems getting all their kids to smile at the same time? Not the only one? All right, perfect. 
Now, um, Berea, we named after the city in Greece. And it's not because we're fans of Greece or the 13 cities that also share that name in the U.S. It's because we desire her, and myself included, to demonstrate the same character trait demonstrated in Acts chapter 17. By those who are in the city of Berea. See, after Jesus resurrected from the dead and the church... Uh, is started, Paul is converted and he's trying to convert as many as he can by going on these many mission trips, going from town to town to town. All of them giving him different responses, some of them more negative, some of them more positive, most of them more negative it seems. In Iconium, the people are convinced to, uh, to, of a crowd to stand against Paul, cause a division in the city. In Lystra, these unbelievers stone Paul. Some of them receive his testimony or are completely changed like Lydia. In Thessalonica, some Greeks and Jews uh, cause an uproar. Paul runs, for his, uh, runs as, to escape and he ends up in the city from Thessalonica to Berea. And in Acts 17, 11, it tells us this about those in Berea. It says, now these Jews are more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. And this is my hope, that my daughter Berea will imitate the Bereans and search the scriptures for truth. Will honestly evaluate the evidence. I mean, this attitude is what I believe brought me to Christ. And I believe any who earnestly seek the truth will come to the same conclusion. God is not hiding. He's not some sort of secret. When Jesus rose, he did it publicly. He rose so the world could see. He showed himself to over 500 people for, for, and these testimonies spread. Romans 1.4, it says uh, that Jesus was declared the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. He was declared the son of God. By his resurrection from the dead. Why is his body missing? Well, because it's sitting bodily on a heavenly throne. His body's missing, although it's guarded by Roman guards. His body's missing, although the Jews conspired ways to, 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 to prove that they, that they were right and the, the Christians were wrong. His body's missing because it's on the heavenly throne. And yet, so many refused to believe. Even those that saw it and witnessed it and heard the testimonies and saw the evidence, they refused to believe. And our spiritual principle here is some people would rather live in their lies than live in the Lord. And there's just nothing we can do about it. It's sad and it's frustrating. Some people would rather live in their lies than live in the Lord. And some do it because of fear. I mean, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it was pretty clear who he was to the people that watched what was going on. And yet it says in John chapter 12, 42, it says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they would not be put out of the synagogue. They would rather continue in their ignorance than have their lives disrupted. They would rather live in their lies than live in the Lord. And I pray that that is not the kind of people in here today. Those are not going to be the types of people that we come across and we try to share the gospel with. That instead, we will be like the Bereans who allow the truth to so change in their life. My prayer for my family is that we will search the scriptures daily to come in greater contact with the truth that will better make us look like Jesus. And my prayer for you is the same. If you do not regularly read the Bible, you are missing out. You're missing opportunities to grow in faith. 
Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. You don't grow by great music. Although great music may trigger a faith you already have, it's not the cause of the faith. This comes through study. This comes through knowing God through His Word. That's why we named her Bria. My youngest, my favorite son. His name is Elias. You see him with the curly hair. Kid is cute to look at, but difficult to deal with. I know he doesn't look like it in that picture, but just this morning he picked up a stool, brought it to the counter, and was trying to open up grape juice. And if you know, grape juice is a no-no in houses. You just don't do that. If you don't have kids, you will understand this one day. Um, yeah, this is, and this is just not stopped. Like, took it away. This is the third time he tried to do it, right? It wasn't like, he just keeps, we keep putting it further away. He keeps finding more ways to get it. But we named him Elias, and if you were to do a search in the scriptures on the name Elias, you will get zero hits. Because Elias is actually the Greek rendition of the name Elijah. If you were to look in Matthew 16, where, where Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And then Peter responds, well, some say that you're Elijah, and that is the Greek word for Elias, and then if you say it with like the way we say it in America, it's Elias. Uh, and so that's where we got this name. Now, so really we're talking about the name Elijah, and this, this name, it's the name of power. For in the name Elijah includes the name of God, Yahweh. Maybe you're familiar with the word hallelujah, praise be. Not just any God, praise be Yahweh, right? The Yah at the end of hallelujah is to shorten for Yahweh. And the Yah in the end of Elijah is Yahweh. Elijah means Yahweh is my God. And not Yahweh is my God as if he's some sort of private wish bearer. No, no, no. But rather, he's my God and who I belong to and who my master is. That the name isn't even an indication of who this individual is, but rather who he serves. And that is the hope that we have for Elias and for my family as well. That everything we do will glorify God in our speech, in our actions, in our character. Even our facial expressions. Don't we know that those betray us? Have you heard somebody say something that you don't agree with? And you're like, and you're like, I didn't say a thing. But they know. They know how you feel. That even our facial expressions would somehow bring God glory. So my wife and I named him this with that sentiment. That we will see the world as God sees the world, feel as God feels, and acts and serve as he served. John Cashin, an early church monk, uh, he said this, in a very, actually a very, very time, a, a, a time for them was, very, it was a lot of hardships and suffering. Um, so you might maybe consider it relevant to our own, our own time. But he says, uh, only those who are slaves to Jesus have tasted freedom. I think he, he was correct in saying this. Only by living as God designed us to function in the world, do we experience the world as it was intended and therefore live free? 
I almost wrote an entire sermon on this, so I'm going to try not to go too far. I don't think we realize the things that are influencing us. We walk around thinking that we're making a lot of free will choices, a lot of free will decisions, don't realize the pull of our flesh, of our sensual desires, things we think are pretty even, the things that we think taste good, the things that we think feel good. We're allowing those to completely influence us and guide us in what we do and don't do. And that is how we define the flesh. And this a living according to that is what the world, when we talk about the world, is what it means. As opposed to living according to the Spirit. Only by living according to the Spirit, when you push off those desires, can you truly live free and make free will choices. Does that make sense? I know that could be like an entire philosophical conversation and discussion. But as we discuss what it looks like to live as God is our master, and as it looks like to live as kingdom people, I think it's good to understand what the influences that we don't realize are causing us to move certain directions. And that our desire as kingdom people is to push them off so we can make real free will decisions to the way God moves in us and what he desires of us. My wife is the beautiful one underneath my chin. You know, we got married really young. I was 22, she was 20. And uh, she, you know, when you're 22, you don't even really know who you're going to be yet. You know, maybe some of you are like, I'm 17. I know who I, no, you don't. No, you don't. You got some years of growth. And it just, it's like you're, you have to figure out how you're going to deal with the world. And, and somehow in that, it just takes time. And so the Lord has used her to help influence me to become the person I am. <laughs> and if you, you might, you maybe understand, you know, he's, he, she's like, Brian, get the socks off the floor. And the Lord is teaching me at that moment to be a clean person. Am I right? And so maybe you guys have experienced some of this uh, spousal discipleship, we can call it. Um, it's real and it helps. Um, don't fight it. Uh, but her name is J.L., and if you're familiar with that name in the scripture, it might bring a little bit of fear when you hear it. This Old Testament story takes place uh, after Moses, before David and Saul, in a time called the Judges. And you might be familiar with some of the judges like Gideon, who tested God with the fleece and dew, or Samuel, the last judge, or Samson, the very strong judge. But there was also a judge named Deborah. And during this time, the people of Israel are being oppressed because of their sin, right? They've rejected God, so God says, all right, you reject me, I'll let you live without me. And when you live without me, this is what happens. And they're being taken over and they're being oppressed. And some of the people, some of the faithful are crying out to God for help. God, help, help. And he gives this plan to Deborah on how to rescue the Israelites. And as the plan goes into play, the Israelite army is destroying the king Sisera. Sisera being a very, very cowardly person, he sends his army of chariots one direction as a distraction and then flees by himself in another direction to sacrifice them, let them all die. He then goes to the tent of a, a family friend. He walks in, the family friend's not home, but the wife is. Her name is J.L. And J.L.'s like, oh, King Sisera, come on in. Come on in, lay down. You know, I know you're tired from your walk. Here's a blanket. Here's some warm milk. Just rest on up. Boom! Kent Stag in the head. He, she took a tent stake. I'm not sure what words I just said. She took a tent stake and hammered it through his head. 
and relieved the oppression of the Israelites. J.L. saw an opportunity to serve God and took advantage of it. Our days are limited. We don't have a lot of time. And so when the opportunities arise to serve God or to meet needs to help others, we should do it. We should react. We should serve. We should sacrifice. And my wife has been a living example of this because the moment that I was available for marriage, she seized on the opportunity. And she pursued God's will in pursuing me. No. <laughs> in all series, though, Ephesians 15, uh, sorry, 5.15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The days are evil. Time is limited. Pray for opportunities to serve God. And when they come, and they will, serve. Be obedient to the prayer. Seize the opportunity. The first century church got in trouble for uh, taking too many orphans out of the center of the city. Brian, how could he take too many orphans? Well... Because some people would go take the orphans and use them for sex trade or slavery. And when the Christians were taking them all up, there was now going to be a missing generation of slaves and a missing generation of those to be sold in the sex trade. And this called a disturbance in the city. Because it violated some of their societal rules and the ways things functioned. They didn't like it. And some believe, although this cannot be proven, that this is the reason why Claudius and Rome... Kicked out all the Christians. If you remember that, we see that, I believe it's Acts 19. It says Claudius kicked all of the Jews out of Rome. Confusing Jews with just, or confusing Christians with just a sect of Judaism at the time. But James wasn't joking when he said, pure religion, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father... Is that we visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. Right, right? Pure religion looks like doing good. We're not discussing how to have salvation. We're discussing what it looks like or what you're supposed to do with that salvation. And that is good. We are to do good. We can't do everything, but we can do something. We can't stop world hunger, but we can feed our neighbor. We can't convert the world to Christ, but we can introduce Jesus to our friends. We can't stop war, but we can stop generational abuse in our home. Are you following me? We do what we can, because no one else can do what we can. The days are evil. Make the best use of your time. Something I like to do that's pretty cheap and just like practical way to do things. Like Sam's Club or Costco, you can get like 40 bottles of water for $4. So a bottle of water is four cents. And then I'll buy like, um, like this big box of trail mix. It's like 10 bucks for 45 of them. I just keep them in my car. It's just a way that if I see someone in need, I can just hand them something real quick. 
Just a way to have conversation, just a way to try to fill a need if somebody is hungry. Maybe, it's, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. But it gives me something I can try to do that's practical and helpful, and it's cheap. And there's a million other ways and things we can do that. Be creative. Think of ways in which we can serve those in need. Pray for the opportunities. And like I mentioned earlier, when the opportunities come, seize them. Pure religion looks like doing good. You know, oddly enough, the names of my family, Brian, obviously me, Zeal, Berea, Elias, and my wife, JL. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know this was going to take place, but as I looked at the names and thought through it, um, it's a pretty clear indication of my spiritual journey. And probably many of yours as well. Um, in the Renaissance, the sculpture David was sculpted. And, it, you know, it's got some different attributes and weird things with it. One of them being that the hands are abnormally large. And the reason is this was the way for them to say that, hey, uh, mankind can do things, everything, by their own power. I think that's often how we think. I think actually everybody probably starts there. They think, I can deal with life through my own strength. I can deal with my salvation through my own power and my own strength. I'm strong enough. Maybe you've thought these very words. Maybe you've said them out loud. I don't need your help. I could do this alone. Eventually we fail. Eventually we realize that we need to depend. And we need to depend on God. We need to depend on community. At the very least, you can't live life outside of community. Not if you want any real value in it. So then, as we fall and fail, we realize our dependence on God. As you know, when you first become a Christian, you become very, very zealous. You have a lot of zeal, but little knowledge and zeal is dangerous, as Proverbs 19 says. And I can remember early on in my Christian faith how many relationships I destroyed in the name of holiness. As a desire just to reflect God more, I pushed so many people away. If you're at that stage in your Christianity, know that it's probably going to happen. It's just a part of it. The hope is that you can mature quickly past that part. If you can use that zeal and let it focus in on a search for truth, as the Bereans who examined the scriptures daily and allowed it to change their life, then you're going to discover that you're not holy. Only one is holy. And even with our newfound faith, we're, we're missing, we're lacking matter of fact, we, we are nothing but his servant. And that is not a, that is a humble place to be. And in that place, when you get to that place in your spiritual walk, the only logical thing to do is that you would do all of his bidding. That every opportunity that comes up, you would take advantage of it. Because the days are evil. That's what it looks like to live in his kingdom. To be a kingdom person, it looks like ceasing every opportunity to do his will as we seek to serve our master.